Would you remain standing? We're going to read some scripture together. And thanks for coming today. Um, I'm excited because uh, I've got a huge, huge announcement to make. Uh, I don't normally take time for this, but um, I got a promotion in the last couple of weeks. And, well, you know, it happens to the best of us. And uh, I uh, was excited because I was duly appointed barber shop chaplain two weeks ago. Thank you. No, it's really, it's, it's nothing really. Um, I've been praying about that for eight years now. And finally, uh, Witt and his father sit right over here. They, they uh, in first service, they own Indian Springs Barber Shop, and uh, I was there, and, I was, and they've always been trying to get ads here on stage. They're like, can we sponsor your podium? You know, like, uh, like, can we sponsor communion? I go, no, it's horrible. You can't do that. And so they appointed me as chaplain. I said, well, hey, does that mean I get free haircuts for life? And they're like, uh, no. But I did snag this free T-shirt right here. So I told them, uh, you got your advertising. I'm chaplain. You got your free advertising. So now if you have a business and you want free advertising, unless it's network marketing or something like that, I would love to help you with that because I know you want to introduce me to something really special, um, but I want to introduce you to something special, Jesus. Okay, so let's get smooth transition there. Let's, uh, uh, let's go to John's gospel, John chapter 8. By the way, again, uh, just as a reminder, this is a really good time if you need to use the bathroom. Now's a good time. You can scoot out. Nobody will really notice it. Nothing worse than in the sermon time that you have to get up, do the walk of shame. That's always horrible. Hate to see you have to do that. And, uh, but do it now. But seriously, um, it really helps when, when we're doing the message that, um, that we're all able to stay and, and just keep the distractions to the minimum just because, man, we're... People are pressing into the Word of God. Man, that was a mass bathroom exodus if I've ever seen one. <laughs> that was funny. Um, but seriously, though, if, and by the way, sometimes I do know this happens. Sometimes there's an emergency, and you have to get up. You get up, and you got an emergency, you go. You take care of that emergency. Um, but when you can come back, we just ask that you'd sit in the back, and we have chairs in the back where you can sit so you're just not a distraction. But uh, So we're in our series about our core values. I want to talk about our core values so last week we talked about this idea of hope for the heart, and today we're going to talk about healing for the soul, and uh, our groups are all together right now. I'm so excited. We're all in groups together. Everybody's got their, their workbooks, and they're working through their workbooks together. We're going through the devotional, a, a daily devotion together, and we're growing together. One of the things I wanted to mention, though, was this past week we've been talking about in our groups the eight core practices that are essential to every follower of Jesus that help you to live out the core values. This past week, we talked about daily devotions and Sunday worship, and, and kind of the reports and the wave that came back was, honestly, the majority of you were like, I'm not, I'm not doing very good in my daily devotions. I'm not doing very good in, in my Sunday worship. And what I want you to know is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is grace. You serve a God of grace, of new beginnings, of second chances. And God wants you in the word and he wants you in his house. And I can tell you that from experience, like the enemy will try to keep you out of this book because this book is life. The words in this book are life for daily living. And I know for some of you like, man, I just, the time, I'm telling you, cut every excuse you've got. Excuses, listen, that's not, you're, you're wondering, why can't I get a breakthrough? Why is my prayer not answered? Why is God not speaking to you? And he says, 
open this. I want to talk to you. I just encourage you to do what I've done. I was about 20 years ago. I got sick of not reading the Bible. I wasn't a preacher. I was just working in the radio industry. And I wanted to be a great dad. And I wanted to be a great husband. And I wanted to be the best person I could be for my employer and for the people around me. And I knew because I wasn't in this book, I wasn't doing that because I didn't really know how. And once a week on a Sunday wasn't going to cut it. And so I said, okay, God, I'll just, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll read one verse a day and pray for one minute a day. That just sounds lame, doesn't it? Like, really? That's what you're going to do? And so I started in that, and I remember how the enemy would come at me and go, one verse, woo, look at you, Mr. Righteousness in Christ, you're amazing, wow. And I just kept pressing on and kept pressing on, kept pressing on. Do you know that if you commit to that for one year, at the end of one year, you will have read 365 verses out of the Bible, and you will have prayed for six hours, six hours of prayer. What could that do in your life? I can tell you 20 years later, my time with God has grown. It is beautiful. Start simple, start somewhere. Come on, make it happen. Turn to somebody and say, start somewhere. Start somewhere, start somewhere. And I know when it comes to church, it's alarming right now. I'm just telling you that the latest statistics say that those who are devoted followers of Jesus come about once a month. That's, that's actual, actual data that's out there. It's crazy. But I'll tell you what, the world will pull you out of this place. I wanna, especially like if you're a young parent, if, I wanna talk to the young parents or maybe you're single hoping to mingle and, and you're hoping you're gonna find somebody and maybe you're hoping one day to have children. But if, especially if you have young children, listen, the world is coming for your kids. They are coming the world is coming for your kids and they don't care about your Sunday worship. And they will try, the enemy will try to pull you out of this place because he doesn't want you raising your kids in the house. He doesn't want them raised in the house. And what's weird and crazy is our society and the world will trick you into thinking that what you're doing on a Sunday out there is way more important than being in his house. And I mean, I go every once in a while. I go kind of consistently, and, and it, it'll trick you into thinking what you're doing is much more valuable. But let me talk to you if you're a parent, especially if you've got little ones like this high. You're going to show them what matters. You can talk about Jesus. You can talk a good game, but they're watching you. And what will happen is, is if you show them that's important and more important than the house, guess what they will chase after when they get older? They won't chase after Jesus. They'll chase after the world and they'll find that it's empty and it's fleeting and it's disappointing and everything comes to an end. The only thing that doesn't come to an end is the love you find in Jesus. Oh, I am preaching up in here. So I just encourage you, young parents, man, have your kids in the house. Have them here every week. I, Laura and I, that was our commitment from, from day one. I remember when our kids got on, my, one of my oldest, my oldest son got on a traveling team. Some of you heard me tell this story. Some of you haven't. He was on a traveling team. We said, okay, we're only going to travel in the summer. Well, yeah, but what about the rest? No, our commitment's to the house of God and the people of God, and we are committed to doing that. We want our children to know Jesus trumps everything. And so we, would, we went and we traveled during the summer. But the funny thing was is that when we travel in the summer, I was like, oh, we got a game on a Sunday because they always have the game conveniently on a Sunday. And I go, that's fine. But if it's during church time, he ain't going to play. And they were like, 
okay, how about if we find a church that's at a time that we're not playing? I was like, that's cool. So even when we were, I remember we were up in Hutchinson, Kansas, and we went to a school, to a church plant, and we were there on a Sunday morning with like 50 people in little chairs worshiping Jesus, and then we went on and played in a championship game. Because I wanted my children to know Jesus matters more than anything. Being in the house of God every single week will do your heart and your family good. It'll keep you healthy. It'll keep you strong. It'll keep you locked in to the people of God. So we're in our series here on our core values. Hope you're in a group. It's fantastic. The series is called Hero Maker. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them you're a hero maker. You're a hero maker. An opportunity to be a hero maker. Today I want to talk to you about the power, the power of healing. Our four core values, by the way, that we have, hope, healing, peace, and purpose, all come from the statement that Jesus made. They asked him, what's the most important thing in all of Scripture? And Jesus summed it up this way in Matthew 22. He said, "Uh, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Four things. Jesus said, just do four things. Love God with all your heart, all all your soul, and all your mind, and then just love your neighbor. And this is the way we express it into four core values. Let's say this together. Hope for the heart is found in Jesus. Healing for the soul is found in Jesus. Peace of mind is found in Jesus. Purpose in the world is found in Jesus. So today, I'm gonna talk about the power of healing. John chapter eight. If you're new to the scriptures, thanks for being here. We're really glad you're here. John was a disciple of Jesus and he just wrote down some of the stories. Not all of them, but just some of the stories. You have a version app. That's a great app to find the Bible on. We're on there under events. You'll find all the scriptures from today. You'll see Core Church. Click on that, and then you'll see a bunch of stuff on how you can get plugged in. But let's, let's look at this story here that John captured in John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but earlier the next, early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and, and he taught them. So they're, they're having church. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, but they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? Of course, they were trying to trap him. That's that's all they were trying to do is trap him. They wanted to say something that they could use against him. So Jesus stooped down and he just kind of wrote in the dust with his finger. But like righteous and religious people do, They kept demanding an answer, so Jesus stood up and he said this, all right, let the one who's never sinned, let him him throw the first rock. Then he stooped down and he started writing again, and the accusers heard this, and they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, hey, where are your accusers? Didn't anybody condemn you? No, Lord, nobody did neither do I. Go and sin no more. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, to declare your promises. Speak to us through the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. All right, you can sit down. So a few weeks ago, uh, it was a Friday morning, about 7 a.m., rush hour traffic. I was headed down the Broken Arrow Expressway in my Ford F-150. That's the truck that Jesus drove when he was on this earth. Um, Forgiveness, obedience, 
righteousness, and deity. There you go. It was on a bumper sticker. He had it on his truck. So I am driving down the expressway, 7 a.m., rush hour traffic, headed towards downtown Tulsa. And if you've been in that area down around 21st Street, right before the curb, there is a lot of construction right now. And so I start passing the orange cones, and it's taking it from three lanes down to two lanes. And and I see the traffic in front of me is slowing down, so I'm, I'm keeping distance. You know, we've all done this. I'm keeping the distance, for, trying to figure out how to slow down and how slow we're going to go, when suddenly the traffic goes from 45 miles an hour to 15 miles an hour that fast. And immediately, I just hit my brakes, and I'm thinking... I didn't want to hit the guy in front of me, and I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and you've all done this, right? You're trying to slow down, not hit the person in front of you, but also leave enough for the person behind you that they would know, and they don't hit you. And so I'm slowing down. This is all happening in a split second, 45 to 15, and, and, and I look in my rearview mirror. I've given the lady behind me enough of a warning. She's got enough space. She's able to slow down, but the lady behind her was not. She was going 45 miles an hour and hit the back of the lady who was behind me. When she did, she lost control of the vehicle. And at 45 miles an hour, she began to flip that vehicle on its side and flipped it, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, twice, till it rocked up onto its wheels again. I'm viewing all of this in my rearview mirror. Immediately, I've never seen anything like this in my life, so immediately my heart is just racing, my blood pressure's gone up, adrenaline is rushing, I pull over to the side of the road, I throw my hazards on, I rush back. I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't know if she's even in the vehicle, I don't know if it's a man, a woman, I don't know if there's children, I don't know what's happening, I just know I've got to get back there, i got to do whatever I can do. And as I ran back to the, to the vehicle and I began to look inside the vehicle, there was just one passenger and it, it was a woman and, and praise God, she had her seatbelt on. And, and I said, ma'am, ma'am, are, are you okay? And, and her whole front side of her car was just complete, completely caved in. And she looks at me and she says, what happened? And it's like, you just, you just rolled your car like twice. Are you okay? And she's like, I... I think I am. Is there anybody else in the car? Is no one else in, in, in the car? And about that time, there was another man that came running up and another woman from another direction. She came running up and we called the paramedics and, and, and they, they, were, they were on their way. And, and I turned and I looked out into the, the traffic that was passing by and I couldn't believe nobody else stopped. Like nobody. Nobody stopped else is helping. And I'm watching this, and and, now I get it. I get it if you didn't see the accident. I totally understand that, because we've all done that, haven't we? We're like, you're always angry at the person, quit slowing down, look at the accident. Then what happens when you you get up on the accident? You're like, oh, wow, (laughs) man, wow. I mean, we all all do that. Now, but what if, we weren't the only three that saw this happen. How, How could you see something like that slow down and go, yeah, I just can't be late to work. What? Listen, as the people of God, people are wrecking their lives. Their lives are a mess, and God is calling us to stop, to pull over and to help, because we have the 
power of healing. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, you got the power of healing. You have the power of healing. Just crazy in our world today, if, it's kind of bizarre how we kind of feed on people's pain. Like the accidents that happen in people's lives, our media loves it, does it not? I mean, you just turn it on, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on any media from TMZ to anything, man, they'll just, whatever they got to do to sensationalize somebody's pain. I mean, it's fair and balanced. Let's give them that. But we've got to point out what that politician did or what that, or what that celebrity did. Look what happened to them. Look what that athlete has done. And we kind of sensationalize it. And we all, we all look at that and we go, man, that's just disturbing. But Come on, let's just be honest. In this place, we're just as guilty at times. I mean, even in our own neighborhoods, get together and you're like, oh, I, I just know they're smoking that marijuana. I just know it. I just, I just know it. You know, their kids are, they're just smoking the doobies. That's what they're doing. I, sm- I smell it. Yeah, because you've been out on the porch way too much when they're doing it. Isn't that convenient? You're out on the porch when that's happening. Or you go to work and they're like, you know, man, he's been, again, man, I'll tell you, he's got, that guy's got a problem. He's showing up at work. He got a, he got a problem. Or on your campus, like, yeah, I mean, that girl right there, she's loose. She's loose. Shaming and blaming is rampant in our culture. And I'm telling you, in the church, we've got to be countercultural. Core Church needs to be a place where people who wreck their lives can find healing for their soul. If you believe that, say amen. We want you to know that if you are new to our gathering, this is a safe place. This is where you can come to find healing for your soul. In John 8, the ones who should have been helping and healing were instead shaming and blaming. Look, at, look back at verse 3. It says, as he was speaking, that's Jesus, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. I mean, think about that for just a minute. Like, Jesus is up preaching, and they interrupt his preaching. That would be like, if right now, the craziness of that would, would be like, if our leaders suddenly got up, picked people out of the crowd, lined them up down here in front, and said, hey, pastor, whoa, 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 just a minute. This dude right here, he's been looking at porn. Not once, not twice, but every day. His wife, his family, his kids, nobody knows about it. By the way, this morning he got up, coming to church, and he looked at porn. What do you got to say about that, preacher? What do you all got to say? Look at that. Oh, this lady right here, she's cheating on her husband. Yeah, she's cheating. Nobody knows about it. And this kid right here, he's been lying to his parents, lying to his friends, manipulating people. What do you got to say about that? That's what these guys were doing. What's crazy is they were the religious leaders. These were the the teachers, and they went Kanye on this girl. I mean, this is just crazy. You've got to be kidding me. Because we would would never do anything like that, would we? Because we're much slyer. I know we we disguise it as a prayer request. (laughs) Hey, would you be praying for so-and-so because, you know, they're... Really? Oh, yes, heard all about it. Never even get around to prayer. You just talk about it. 
Or we get in little hush circles and we talk about those people. Or I don't like my kids around those people. Or what's crazy is we disassociate with certain groups. Like I'm not going to be seen with them. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. This is who they were. And it's like it's no wonder it's no wonder that, that, that people view the church as like hypocritical, judgmental, and pious. Because we are at times. But we can't be that way here. I'd like for you to write this down. Because this is who we are at Core Church. Core Church is a place of compassion, not condemnation. Core Church is a place of compassion and not condemnation. It's a, it's a place that you can find healing for your soul. Now, now, let me say this. Compassion doesn't mean condoning, okay? It's not like, you know, hey, it's a free-for-all. Wheels off, do whatever you want. Hey, everybody aboard the sin train. Whoop, whoop. No, 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 no. Grace is not a license to sin. What grace is, is grace is a power to rise above it. And so we have to ask ourselves, who am I and, and how am, am I like these, these religious leaders? Because Jesus, he, he wasn't, this is, when you look at this story, Jesus wasn't silent on sinning. He was silent on shaming. That's what he was silent on. It was grace before truth. Jesus was grace before truth. We're going to see this in this story. Look at verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? Of course, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus doesn't say anything. Are you kidding me? Like, how much more obvious can it be? This is clearly wrong. This is in God's top 10, people. There is nobody in here, out in this world, from any other religion that's going to say, yeah, I'm on board with that adultery thing. No. Everyone knows this is clearly wrong. So why is Jesus silent? I, I think there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I think Jesus was silent is because he was more interested in protecting this woman than he was his own reputation. And what happens is some Christians feel like they've got to protect and they've got to defend God's reputation. For my birthday, I got this no button. And every time you push it, here's what it does. No! I, said, no, no, no. I wish I would have had this when my kids were little. This would have been great. Hey, Dad, can we? No. Could you, what about? N-O-No. <laughs> would have loved to have had this when I was, my kids were little. I think some Christians run around with this, and they just like to point out everything that's wrong in this world. Ho, 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 look what they're doing. No means no. Look at, wait, what about that person? Look at that person right there. No, 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 no. What about that? No, no, no. A thousand times no. Some people feel like they've got to be the moral police. Pastor, you got, to, you got to tell them. I had somebody one time come to me and said, hey, 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 pastor, you got to talk to those people because they're, they're, they're sinning. You got, you got, they say that they're following Jesus, but I've been watching them. And I'm like, ooh, that's crazy. You're a Christian stalker. That's weird. You just, that's creepy. I've been watching them, 
and they are sinning, and they are going to hell, and you need to tell them. You need to tell them they're sinning, and they're going to hell, and I promise you, this is exactly how it went down. I was thinking in my mind, I was like, all right, all right, I'll tell them. I think you're sinning, and you're going to hell, which they looked at me and went, me? Whoa, whoa, and I was like, it did not go well. i just telling you, don't do that to somebody like that that has a pompous, pharisaical, righteous, and religious attitude. I mean, I said that, and they were like, what? I said, yeah, pride is one of the chief sins in all of Scripture. Being the judge and jury on people's sin is a real slippery slope. I mean, you go from adultery to the Smurfs in no time flat. I know some of you are like, wait, the Smurfs? What's, what, what's up with the Smurfs? I didn't know the Smurfs were bad. Uh, some, I know most of you have not been in church long enough, or, or you're not didn't have the privilege of, uh, you know, when I was young and in the 80s and 90s, I was, uh, uh, when I was a young dad in our church, we were indoctrinated that the Smurfs were evil. That's what we were told. Keep your kids away from the Smurfs. You think it's funny, but they were serious. You can Google this, not now, later. And there's a book on Amazon called Devil in the Toy Box. And they were handing it out like candy to everybody. And then what they would say is, oh, those Smurfs, they're blue, which is a, very, is, a, is, is a symbol of demonology. It is? I didn't know that. And I believed it because I, that's the culture I was in. I was completely indoctrinated. Like, oh, yeah, on there, there's that one guy. He's like a witch doctor. You got to, I was like, okay, kids, you can't watch Smurfs because they're evil. And then years later, I happened to be watching the Smurfs, and I was like, wait a second. This is one woman living with a bunch of men. Why weren't they talking about that? <laughs> that seems obvious. But it's a slippery slope, and and people will come to me and, they, and, and, they, and they'll say, especially people that I can always, I can always pick out the self-righteous, pious people before they even visit our church because I get an email and the email will go something like this. What is your church's stance on blank? And it's always that issue. It's the prominent issue right now in our society. What's your stance on this? Can I tell you what our stance is on this? Our stance is grace before truth. Grace. Grace before truth. Listen, you can't give the truth to anyone until they have experienced the grace of Jesus. You couldn't face the truth in your life until you experienced the grace of Jesus. Grace before truth. Now, 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 let me stop here. Does this mean we never talk about issues or we, we never talk about what we believe or what the scriptures say? Absolutely not. In fact, just two weeks ago, I was talking to some friends of mine and had come to our church, and we had a great conversation about, about an issue and, and about something that's, that's happening, and how do, how do you feel about this, Brad, and this is what we're thinking, and what does Scripture say? And we had this really healthy dialogue, and I think there's a healthy place for that, but so often in our society, we're doing this because we're just trying to like categorize people. We categorize people. And listen, God doesn't need you to protect his reputation. He needs you to protect people. That's what he needs. He needs us to protect people. And, and so often we're just categorizing them. And I, man, I'm just so glad that I, I've not been labeled by my sin, by my mistakes, and by my failures. Are you not glad that you've not been labeled that way? Thanks be to God. He sent Jesus, and through the cross, the labels were torn off. There are no labels for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 
He put his name there. In fact, Paul said it this way in in Corinthians. He said, we are the righteousness of God. Like, that's your name. You are the righteousness of God. The devil wants you to be stuck in your pain. The devil, listen, if you don't follow Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, he loves that because he wants to keep a label on you. This is who you are. This is all you'll ever be. You're always going to screw up like this. You always make a mess of things. You will never be the righteousness of God. But then Jesus steps in, and with grace, your eyes are open, and suddenly you realize, I don't have to be that anymore. I'm not that anymore. I'm known as the righteousness of God. I am a child of God. God. Let's help one another. Fist bump three people around you and tell them you're the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You know what's so sad is these religious leaders, they didn't even care about this woman. They were using her all because they just wanted to trap Jesus. You know, if you keep people at a distance, you will label them instead of loving them. And I fear that many times as followers of Jesus, we are just using people so we can categorize them and label them when God is saying, I want you to love them. The religious people, this is what they did. They distanced themselves from the, from the sinners. I'm not going to be around those people. And the reason they said I'm not going to be around those people is because they were like, well, I'm holy and I'm righteous and I can't be around. This was, they really felt this way. I can't be around those things that are unclean. Then Jesus shows up and he completely jacks it up. He's like, Messiah on the scene, going to hang out with lost people, going to hang out with broken people, going to hang out with sinners. And here he is now down in the dirt with this woman. That's what Jesus does, by the way. He gets down in the dirt with you. He gets eye to eye with you in your mess and says, let me help you up out of your mess. That's the kind of people we got to be. They get down in the dirt with people to help them rise up so they recognize I can be called the righteousness of God. This is what Jesus did. But guess what? Because Jesus did this, he was often misunderstood. When you look in scripture, they said, oh, he's, he's possessed by a demon. How can this guy be the son of God or the Messiah? Look what he's doing. Look who he's hanging out with. Man, he can't be the Messiah. He's, he's possessed by uh, a demon. And other places of Scripture, they said, oh, look, he's eating and drinking with a bunch of, the, with, with a group of people over there. He's drunk. They called Jesus, they accused him of being drunk. Another part of Scripture, they, they called him the friend of sinners, which, by the way, is not an endearing term. They meant it as a derogatory term because he was a rabbi and a religious leader, and they were like, yeah, look at that. And I'm, I can tell you this, that when you begin to rip the labels off and when you begin to act in love and to show grace, you will risk being misunderstood. I'd like you to write this question down, and I want you to wrestle with this question this week. Am I, am I willing to be misunderstood for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to be misunderstood for the sake of the gospel? I remember that moment very clearly for me. Uh, it was, it was a, just a stake in the ground, lying in the sand moment for me. It was a few years ago, and it happened right back here in this baptismal pool. And I remember I had been praying for this young man, and his parents had been praying for this young man who was very far from God, and I'd known him for years, and, and his life was just a mess. But through those prayers and through the people around him, 
he discovered the mercy and grace of Jesus. It overwhelmed him to the point that he gave his life back to Jesus, and he sent me a text, and he said, Pastor Brad, would you baptize me? I said, dang straight, I will baptize you. And I remember getting in that tub with him, and I remember he was crying, I was crying, and I was so overwhelmed, like, wow, this is so amazing. And I remember taking him under that water, and I remember lifting him up, and I'm, I'm not kidding you, I'm, I, I I, I lift him up out of that water, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, no. I, I, don't, think I, I don't think I was supposed to baptize him. Because, you see, he, I knew him. And there were some things about his lifestyle that didn't quite line up with the scriptures. And there were some things in his lifestyle that, that were sinful behavior, that were wrong, that he needed to, to get right. And all of a sudden I was thinking, was I not supposed to baptize him? How do I undo this? How do you undo a baptism? I don't think I can undo a baptism. There's a lot of people here. This would be weird. Do I go under and back up again? Do I just hold him down a long time? What do I do? Until you say no, you have to stop. Are you done? No. Do it again. Are you going to keep doing it? I promise never again. All right, you're good. I remember wrestling with this for several weeks. Because in my theology and the way I had been taught and the way I understood it is that you go through baptismal classes and, and you get things right and you got to check this box and you check this box and you check this box and then you get to this point and now you can be baptized. And then I started talking to some of my pastor friends and, and doing a deep theological dive on it and then I started looking at the scriptures and I started looking into the New Testament and I started realizing, wait a second, they, they never waited to baptize anybody. Like, I challenge you to look at it. Never, they never waited. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the very first sermon. 3,000 people baptized. Did they line them up and go, all right, let's get the sin checklist. Are you good on this? Check. Good on this. Check. Good on this. Check. We got a good. We got a good one, Peter. No, they didn't do that. They just said, do you love Jesus? Yeah. Boom. Under the water you go. Do you love Jesus? Boom. Under the water you go. Do you want to live for Jesus? Boom, under the water you go. That's the qualification for baptism. You see this over and over. I mean, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, he, he gives him the scriptures, then he stops. There's some water. Let's baptize you. Paul, he converts the, the jailer right there, goes home, middle of the night with the family. All right, get everybody up. Let's baptize them. They don't go through a, a checklist. And here's the thing we have to understand is we don't clean people up. Jesus cleans them up. That was so huge for me. And my only qualification for baptism for somebody is, do you love Jesus? Do you want to follow him? Then let's go. Well, you know, pastor, I got it. Here's the number one thing I hear. Here's the number one thing I hear with baptism. And it it's happens most of the time. I, I've got to get some things right before I get back. Wait. And I say, wait, time out. Are you not a follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I go, well, shouldn't you have to get everything right before you come to follow Jesus? Well, I don't Baptism's part of the salvation. It's not, it's not your salvation, but it's part of that experience that I, I accept Christ by faith, and then immediately I am baptized, just like we saw today, immediately I am baptized into the faith and into the family. I've said this before, you know, it, it's like it, waiting to get cleaned up to get baptized is like saying, I am going to get cleaned up before I take a bath. Isn't that weird? Hey, I, gotta, I can't take a bath because I got to get cleaned up first. No, no, the bath is what cleans you up. And so what you do is you go under the water in all of your mess. You come up as the righteousness of Christ. And now I have the spirit of the living God who's going to help me to walk out of all these things in my life. I have experienced grace and now I'm going to experience the truth of God. Grace 
before truth. Turn to somebody and tell them, grace before truth. Grace before truth. I want to invite our worship team to come. And while they're coming, on your chairs are some Hero Maker cards. I want to encourage you, grab a Hero Maker. You have the opportunity to be a Hero Maker in somebody's life. But it's going to be a risk. It's risky. When you say, God, make me a Hero Maker, he's going to put you around some people and in some situations, he's going to get you down in the dirt and down in the mud. It's going to get on you, and you're going to be like, ah, what do we do with all this? How do we get all this all cleaned up? And people are going to look at you, and they're going to be like, yeah, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you're associating with those people. I mean, it's just you have to wrestle with this question, am I, am I willing to be misunderstood for the sake of the gospel? So Jesus says in verse 7, he confronts these religious leaders. He says, all right. Let the one who's never sinned throw that first stone. This is one by one. They dropped their rocks. They walked away. and So Jesus is standing there now with this woman, and the crowds are all watching. Okay. What's he going to do? And he says this. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No. No, they, they, they didn't. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus was not silent on sinning. He was silent on shaming. Just imagine what that moment must have been like. It's like, it's like if Jesus was here this morning, he, he would step out into this crowd. And he'd say, I don't know what you're doing. I know where you've been. I know what you did. And he does. And nobody else knows, but I know. And then what Jesus would say is, uh, so, uh, where are your accusers? And I'd say the same thing to you today. Where are your accusers? Because they are not here in this church. They don't last long in this church because we have all learned in this place to put down our rocks. We put down our rocks because we know the first one would be thrown at me. Because we are not a place of condemnation. We're a place of compassion. This is a place where Jesus will get down in the dirt with you, where we will get down in the dirt with you. And what Jesus says to you is, go. Just don't abuse my grace. Let my grace set you free. This is a place where you can find.